This is good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 186, Major League Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and welcome to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, hi. Hi. It's been a while, Chris. We had to take a few weeks off for some summer vacation. We did. We did. We had to take some time away from recording the show, but we're back, and then that's all that matters. But uh, in the meantime, since we took some time off, you know, uh, you've had some free time on your hands. Have you been able to do anything from a pop culture perspective? Uh, I absolutely have. I've got a uh, a long list of things, but I'm only going to limit it to the top two or three okay. to uh, in the in the entrance of brevity here, okay. which I'm not I'm not generally known for. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh I'm, my! <laughs> you said it, George. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so uh, I got some some really goods and some really bads. Okay. So okay. Yeah. I had a chance to watch two movies from the last few years that were both nominated for best picture Oscars that I'd never seen before. Okay. And they were both fantastic. A, a plus no problem. So the first one was from 2017, the movie Dunkirk directed by Christopher Nolan. Have you ever seen Dunkirk based on real life events? This is going to surprise you. So I actually went to see it in the movie theater, but I can't remember. I can't remember what the heck the reason was. My, my, my mother-in-law came down and said, Hey, I'll look after the kids. You guys go out and see a movie. There was nothing else playing. So we went to see it. I remember my wife absolutely hated it. I didn't really care for it all that much either, but uh, so be it. So I guess I've seen it. So I, I really, it's no meatballs. What can I say? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I'd never seen it before. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of Christopher Nolan's work. You I I had heard, for the most part, it had pretty good reviews when it came out. It was just one of these ones that I, I just I never got a chance to see it in the theater. And for whatever reason, I wasn't overly motivated to like to go and see it. And then it was on one of the, the movie channels. And I thought, you know what, I'll just record this. And one night when I've got nothing better to do, I'll watch it. And that's exactly what happened. One night I... I was ready to do my exercises, and I thought, well, what can I watch for the next hour? And I thought, I'll, I'll start watching Dunkirk, and if it's any good, I'll keep going. And if it's not, after an hour, I'll just delete it. And it was great. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, Again, it's because it's like a war movie. It's a period piece. It's not going to appeal to everybody, but it had an interesting story uh, technique of the way the story was told. It's told in um, like sort of three different, slightly different time frames that eventually overlap as the movie comes together, and you don't necessarily – understand how the pieces are going to fit together at the very beginning, although you got some pretty good ideas. Um, but no, it was good. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It's not one of these ones that I'm going to go back and watch over and over again, but I totally understand why it was nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. And uh, I can understand why so many people enjoyed it. So I would give it a solid A. I would definitely recommend it to people to at least give it a try. The other one I saw was uh, nominated for Best Picture. It was actually just this past year, and the movie was called The Sound of Metal. Do you know anything about this one? Never heard even it? heard of it. Does it have to do with heavy metal? Yes. Nice. So it's a like um, 
It's a guy who's a drummer in like an indie metal punk band and he's starting to lose his hearing. And so at the beginning of the movie, he goes to get a hearing test and they're like, your hearing is shot. Like you are on the verge of losing your hearing entirely. And then sure enough, like 10 minutes into the movie, he does. And, and then it's the struggle of this guy who, you know, sound is his life and now he can't process sound. And it's the coming to terms with this and um, learning about deaf culture and learning to sign. And then the decision-making of, does he try to do something like uh, an operation where you can get a cochlear implant, which can can give you some auditory reception, but it's not going to return your your you know your hearing to perfect. And um, so it's this this struggle of like, what is he going to do? Because deaf culture is a thing, and he's becoming a part of it, and they have their own identity. And uh, my wife is a sign language interpreter. I, I know a little bit about it, and so yeah, we watch this movie together because Kay is both a sign language interpreter and a drummer. So she's like, well, there's a couple of different reasons why I want to watch this. The movie was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actor in a Lead Role, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Screenplay didn't win for any of those four it did win for best sound and best film editing it was excellent i wasn't sure if i was going to dig it or not um but yeah a plus loved it can't recommend it highly enough it's called sound of metal it was nominated for best picture this past year it's uh on hbo and crave now so if you've got the streaming service check it out it was it was really really good it's worth a watch it's funny when you started to describe it i almost thought it was going to be a documentary like that's I don't know I, I, why I thought that, but uh, no, it was quite yeah. good. Now, on the bad side of things, mm-hmm. there's another movie that just came out and it's streaming now and it stars Oscar winner Denzel Washington. It stars Oscar winner Remy Malik. It stars Oscar winner Jared Leto. And you think, wow, this has like good news written all over it. The movie is called The Little Things. It's a detective story. It's based on apparently a very well selling book. This movie was garbage. It was awful hard f do not recommend do not watch and i like all three of those guys and i thought wow yeah these guys are in it like denzel washington doesn't make many bad movies like if he's in there i'm giving it a chance and believe me if it wasn't for him i wouldn't watch more than 15 or 20 minutes this movie i could tell right away i'm like i don't think i'm gonna dig this one but i'm like no let's see where it goes the last 30 minutes was a super letdown it was terrible do not waste two hours of your life Hmm see either of the other two ones I just recommended you'll be a lot happier and uh, and then the last thing I've had a chance I got a uh, books on audio audible through uh, amazon.com I've got an audible account so I've started to listen to more books because I haven't had a chance to sit down and read and uh, I actually listened to a book this week it's not a documentary but it's sort of a documentary it's a biography on Phil Knight do you know who Phil Knight is? I don't think so Phil Knight is the guy who invented Nike shoes Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so the book is called Shoe Dog, and it's the story of Phil Knight, the biography of how he, you know, went from being a an athletic student. He wasn't the best athlete, but he was decent enough. He made it on his college team to becoming the, you know, the founder, inventor, president of what is now, you know, Nike. And it was quite good. I, I really didn't know a lot about it. I mean, I knew the story of Steve Prefontaine, the distance runner, and his, uh, because there was a couple of movies uh, made about him. And, and Bill Bowerman is one of the coaches who becomes a co-partner with Phil Knight to create Nike. So I sort of knew a little bit about it. But what I knew was really sort of the end of the story. It was it was the story of like how it went from nothing to something. And, and it was quite interesting. There's a lot of 
a lot of business stuff going on in the story, but it was told in such a way that it was relatable. So it was quite good. If you're looking for something to read or if you've got an Audible account, the book is called Shoe Dog. Uh, it's by Phil Knight, and uh, it's from uh, the book came out in 2016, so it's only a couple years old, and uh, it was quite good, very satisfying. So, nice. Those uh, are my pop culture hits and misses. Sort of pop culture related. So uh, I've got I got my second vaccine shot. So things are starting to get back to normal somewhat. You know, I don't whatever normal is, but um, I've, I've mentioned on the show before that I have season passes to Canada's Wonderland. Now. You know, we've mentioned before, we're Canadian, you know, for for anyone that's in the United States listening to this or anywhere else around the world, for that matter. Here in Canada, just north of Toronto, there's a major amusement park, Canada's Wonderland. So anyway, they, they opened up for the first time in like a year and a half, you know, to the public. And I took the boys down there and we went there and we were in line for one of the, the rides. And it was it was a long wait. Like we were in line for hour, hour and a half for this line or for this ride. And the whole time, I was it's one of those lines that kind of snakes around. You know what it's like. You've been to an amusement park. Oh, yeah. You know, up yeah, and yeah. down, up and down. And I, I spot this couple. And they're they're kind of like looking at me. Like they keep looking toward me and they're like, they're, 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 they're talking to each other. They're kind of pointing over at me. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And former this, students of yours, maybe? I don't, I, yeah, I, I didn't know. I'm like, yeah, maybe they were students or something. I mean, who knows? And then... We get, you know, kind of closer to the the front there, and then it gets to the point where they, they kind of, they're able to get close to me, even though they were behind me in line, like, because just the way the line kind of right, converges. Right, 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 yeah. And they're like, we've been waiting half an hour to get here and talk to you, to get to this point. And I was like, oh, what is it? And they said, we just love your, and I'm thinking, my mind's racing, I'm like, they love my podcast? Like, they, 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 they love my old TV show. Like, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been on the air. Are you like, wearing they, a funny shirt? Maybe they yeah. just love your shirt. No, I'm just thinking, like, they recognize me from something. They can't recognize me from something. Like, just I'm, the podcast, you, I'm not going to recognize me. It's, it's audio. I'm like, what the hell? And they're like, we just love your mask. And so the mask I had on says, Spaceballs, the face mask. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so they could tell I'm a big pop culture nerd nice, and I got that. Nice. And I and they, they were pretty young too. I'm like, oh man, I didn't even think you'd know this. Oh yeah, we love that. Our parents love that movie. I'm like, oh jeez. Oh, <laughs> so there's that. So oh anyway, so I just wanted to share that with you. It's kind of a pop culture related thing. I thought it was a lot of fun. So their parents apparently uh love Spaceballs, as well they should. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if their parents, especially their father, loves. Here's your dad joke of the week. All right, Derek, got a good one for you this week. Okay, I'm gonna explain. Well, that'll be a change. Yeah, I know. I want to mix things up for you. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Here's a question for you: If a llama, you know a llama, right? I okay. sure do. If a llama with one L is a holy man in Tibet. And a llama with two L's is a beast of burden. What do you call a three L llama? I don't know. Llama? No, you call it a big fire in Boston. A three llama. Terrible. Three llama. Yeah, thanks. You, you, know, you said you had a good one. I'm still waiting for the good one. You know you know who would like that joke? Matt Damon. 
He's from Boston. He would definitely like that joke. Oh, man. Oh, welcome back to the show. Is there any chance you might have a documentary for us this week? Derek Stocks! Derek Stocks! Party time! Excellent! Colonel Sanders. Slow down there, Chris. Was he finger-licking good? Oh, my, my, my. I can think of 11 reasons not to like that. <laughs> Two of which you know are salt and pepper. Oh, I heard about this. Oh, my God. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. But I appreciate the effort. Back the truck up. Hold it. You know, more than just white dudes. Two of my favorite things, Star Wars and beer. Okay, it was over to me to nominate a film this week. Last uh, show, we went with Moneyball. Derek, that was your movie. So I wanted to give you a Generation X baseball movie. So I went with Major League, you know. And one thing I just want to say about this movie, you cannot find it anywhere on the streaming services. Tell me about it. Yeah, it was hard to find. So I had to to actually go out and buy the DVD of it. And so what I did was I found, we have a, a mall here in town and... I went, there's a, like a like a movie store. They still ex- exist, apparently. Um, there's one at our mall, and it's like a DVD store. So I went in there, and they had it for like seven bucks. So I was like, oh, perfect. I'm going to buy this. And when I was there, I noticed they have this huge section that's dedicated to TV shows. Derek, they had a bunch of seasons of Happy Days. So... I picked up the fifth season of Happy Days. It's the one where um, Mork and Chachi and Leather Tuscadero all make their first appearance on the show. And it's also the one where Fonzie jumps the shark. So needless to say, I spent a lot of my time not only watching our movie for this week, but also spending uh, some time reliving my childhood. So, you know, it, it was pretty awesome. So, oh, nice. so good. Nice. Yeah, I, I like you. I had a challenge. So... I was convinced that I own this movie. In fact, <laughs> right. I'm positive I do own it and just couldn't find it. So, you know, we've had three weeks. And when did I go to watch the movie? Last night at like 10 p.m. Because I thought, <laughs> of course. you know, I'll watch before I go to bed. You're busy watching Dunkirk and I'll make, I'll make all this other notes stuff. And, and, you know, because we, we had a few things we wanted to talk about. And I was like, okay, because I knew today would be busy. I better watch it Wednesday night. And sure enough, I go to my DVD rack and they're alphabetized. And I'm like, mm, you know, the Matrix. And then I was like, hey, we get to the M's. I got all the way to the ends. I'm like, I don't see Moneyball here or I don't see um, Major League. I'm like, I found Moneyball and I'm like, uh, where's Major League? It's like, oh, well, I got a big stack on top of movies I've watched in the last six months and haven't, you know, re-alphabetized in the list. It's got to be here. I'm looking through. No, it's not there either. I'm like, well, maybe I'll answer to my brother. He'd recently dropped off a whole bunch of DVDs. He's like, you put mine with your collection. So I'm like, okay, I'm looking through that pile. Nothing. I'm like, okay, this may sound really uh, old, but I have a giant box of video cassette tapes, VHS mm-hmm. tapes, nice. and and a working VCR. Nice. And the only reason it even occurred to me to think of this was I was recently tidying up, and I found them and thought, oh, my God, like, I should just get rid of these. And so when I couldn't find the DVD, I'm like, fine. I waited to the last minute. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to watch it on video. Nice. I must have looked through 100 videotapes. I couldn't find it in there either. I'm oh, like, geez. okay, I know I had this on video. So I used to have I it on know, VHS, yeah. The, the, the Major League Gremlins came in and took, their, took the DVD and took the video. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like, I could probably do the podcast without rewatching the movie. I've seen the movie a lot. But I was like, you know what? I really want to watch it. So I, I reached out to a few of my buddies and uh, sure enough, my good friend, Jamie, friend of the show, longtime listener, uh, he had a copy or 
was able to get me a copy. I find it's best not to ask too many questions sometimes mm -hmm. and uh, was able to uh, uh, transfer it to me. And so I was able to uh, give it a watch last night before I went to bed. So nice. uh, big, big shout out to Jamie. Thank nice. you, sir. Uh, you had to pull. I had to pull at all the stops. And of course, he pointed out, he's like, you know, if you had gotten on this three weeks ago, you probably would have had a lot more options in calling me in the middle of the night. I'm like, hey, man. <laughs> You've known me since high school. Things don't change. <laughs> Last minute. That's when I work best. So, but yeah, got it. Got it. Did got it. Got it done. Watch so it up. We both. We both got it anyway. Now going back in time, this movie was released on April the seventh. So just in time for for baseball's opening day in nineteen eighty nine. It was made on a budget of eleven million dollars, and even though it's considered as one of the best baseball movies of all time, it wasn't exactly a hit. When it came out, any guesses what the number one movie at the box office was back in 1989? Wow. Um, 1989. Um, can you give me a hint? What genre was it? <clears throat> um, like, was it an action movie? Was it Schwarzenegger? Um, it was actually Storm? a comic book movie of all things. Howard the Duck? No, no. That movie oh, bombed. Yeah. I don't know. Batman. Two hundred, oh, yes, yeah, two hundred and fifty-one million. Remember when Batman came out in eighty-nine? Yeah. It was the June twenty-third, nineteen eighty-nine. It was huge, I only, and I remember it was June twenty-third because on the back of the comic books, for the longest time, it was just the Batman logo, and it said, or was it June twenty-second, June twenty, whatever it was. Anyway, so so anyway, so um, uh, Major League wasn't even the highest-grossing baseball movie in nineteen eighty-nine. It was wow. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams made $64 million and finished 14th at the box office. Major League made $49 million, so it made good money back then. And it was 23rd, you know, that year. That's respectable. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, I just want to say before we dive into this, we reviewed a lot of Gen X movies around here. I mean, that's what we do every third yep. week, right? But yep. this one... This one has always been a personal favorite of mine. Uh, back when I first met you, Derek, uh, when I lived in Toronto, I used to get together with my buddies and we would watch this movie over and over and over. And like a lot of the movies that we do around here, I haven't seen it. You know, I haven't been able, had a chance to go back and watch it, you know, for a long time. But I got to say, this movie was absolutely fantastic to go back okay. and revisit. I loved it. It's just so much damn fun to watch this movie and I think I forgot how fun it is and I maybe it's because it's not available on the streaming services but I feel like Major League is a movie that sometimes just falls through the cracks a bit you know but it's got everything I love in a movie it's got baseball it's got comedy and for a sports fan and a movie fan for that matter it's probably the most quotable movie of all oh. time Hands, yeah, it is. Well, I don't say hands down, but it has a lot of good quotes. So one of the things when we were talking about like the prep for this, one of the things that I had suggested to you, and I don't know if you had a chance to do this part of the homework, because I said, when you're watching the movie, write down some of your favorite quotes. So that was one of the big reasons I wanted to make sure I rewatched this and mm -hmm. not just did it from memory. Although I, I did a memory of a lot of good quotes. And as I'm writing them down, like my list got pretty long, pretty fast. And there's a lot of good quotes. Now, some of them, uh, I think... They're, they, I, I think they're good quotes because I have like inside jokes with my families and friends. But I found that even when you meet new people and you, you sort of quote out some of the lines that you think, well, I like this line and they often will pick it up, too. So we can we can go through some of the quotes we a should. later. But, so so but first of, of all, I just want to point out you mentioned that you wanted us meet us to do this as homework for the show. 
I'm in education. I always do my homework. So I have my top 10 list. Let's quickly run it down from 10 to one. Okay. Sure. Well, I, so I didn't do my homework. I, I did it, but I, I didn't do it correctly. <laughs> I did. I just did the quotes in the order they came out in the movie. Oh, okay. But I did. I did get, to, and of course now I can't remember where I saved the file. So you give me a quick second to find it, but, um, I'll start, I'll start with mine. Okay. So I'm going to start well, with my number 10. Gonna, I think we're going to hang on. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's talk about it a little more before we uh, okay. we jump into it here, because I think we're going to find that we have a lot of... They're probably of all the quotes. same ones. Yeah. You know? Okay. Uh, I found the list. Okay. Okay. So go ahead. Just I'm going to start with my number 10 and work up to my favorite quote in the whole movie. My number 10, I don't know why I like this quote so much. The scene where Charlie Sheen is in, I think they're in the bar together, and he's like, you want me to drag him out of here? Kick this shit out of him? <laughs> I don't know why yeah. that makes yeah. me laugh so much when he says that. That's my number 10. Nice. Uh, so mine are just in the order they appear. Sure. In the movie. sure. What do you got? So my first one right at the beginning when the new owner, the, 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 the call former car call girl and the widow. Of the, yep. Sure. She's, she's given them the list of the players and the guys are going through. I never heard of half of these guys. The ones I do know are way past their prime. Most of these guys never had a prime. And then a guy goes, this guy here is dead. And she gives him this look and says, cross him off then. I just, <laughs> Great the way she delivers that, yep. I just, it kills me every time. I'm well, like, cross him off. Cross him <laughs> off then. Like, duh, what else are you going to do? <laughs> okay. My number nine, play like Maze, run like Hayes. Oh yeah, that's on my so list. So good. And the thing is, Maze is Willie Maze, obviously. But do you know who Hayes is, a rever- is referring to? Uh, I, I, I looked it up, but I forget. It's Bullet Bob Hayes. He was this Olympic runner who was super fast. And he was so fast, he actually became a pro football player, of all things. Wow. But anyway, wow. yeah. Play okay. like Hayes, run like Hayes, my number okay. nine. I actually didn't have that on my list, but I have I have other ones similar to that. It stands so, out to me yeah. in this movie. So then my second one is, again, they're in the order. Of the, I found most of my quotes were in the first half of the movie, because the second half is more just focusing on the baseball, but right. the first half is all the character development. So when... He's when he's calling up all the people to get them to come out and he gets Cor- or uh, not Corbin Birdson, um, Tom Berenger's character. And uh, he's like, we want you to come up for the Indians. He goes, is that you, Talbert? This isn't very funny. You know, I'm hungover. My knees are killing me. And if you're going to pull this, shit, at least you could have said you were from the Yankees. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh. OK, so mine is <laughs> there's so many there, there's so much profanity in this, too. Yeah, so Serrano work overtime. Serrano yeah. spends the whole movie devoted to his religion. And at the very end, when he comes up to bat, he, he stops and he's like, Jobu, I go to you. I stick up for you. If you know, help me now. I say, fuck you, Jobu. I do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. just renounces his religion. <laughs> I just, it made me laugh so much. I love that line. <laughs> nice, nice. All right. Uh, so again, my next one is similar. It plays off the one you did before, where he goes, "You may run like maze, but you hit like." <laughs> yeah, such, <laughs> such a good character, dude. Yeah. So again, my my friend Jamie, who got me the movie, when I said we're doing best quotes, he's like, "That's my favorite quote." Oh, that's, like, so that's good. a good one. That's a good one. So I love also when when Harris is talking to Vaughn about putting stuff on the ball. Just yeah. one word, and the way he says it, he's going through all the things he puts on, and he's like, Vagisil. <laughs> Did you put snot on the ball? <laughs> nice. All right, what's next on your list? Uh, my next one I got is when um, 
Harry Doyle's talking about uh, Haywood, and he says, he leads the league in most offensive categories, including nose hair. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> love that line, too. So that was a good oh. one. <laughs> oh. Uh, I love when, uh, so my next one is when they're, uh, when they're first, all the players are meeting each other, and the Serrano's talking about uh, how he's he's got his, his voodoo, and uh, the old pitcher goes, are you trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? <laughs> Such a great line, dude. That's one of my brother's favorites. I oh, had to it's make so sure that good. was for him. Yeah. I like when uh, Harry Doyle is is uh, it's it's kind of early in the movie and he and he's on the air and he's like reviewing the game. He's doing the post game wrap up. He's like, yeah, one hit. Wait, what? That's all we got? One goddamn hit? And again, this color man's like, you can't say goddamn on the air. He's like, ah, nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. <laughs> Love that. Nice, nice. All right. Um, I got uh, next one here, and I'm sure this is on your list, so I'm probably stealing your thunder. Is uh, when Ricky Vaughn has his major league debut and he comes up for, and and again, so it's Bob Euchre doing the call play by play, and he's like, just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Yeah. Ball four, ball eight, low, and Vaughn has walked the bases loaded 12 straight pitches. How can these guys lay off pitches that close? (laughs) (laughs) I like when, uh, again, a lot of Harry Doyle stuff, when Harry Doyle. He turns to it to the guy and he's like, "You got anything to add?" He's like, "No, he's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks." Yeah. <laughs> I love that too. Yeah. All right. What's next on your list? Um, so I think my it was a toss up between my number one and my number two. My number, the one I was I thought would be my number one, and you mentioned it already. Is just, just dead outside. I think yeah. that's the quote that is the most associated with this movie oh it definitely it's it's one of them yeah so, but also I'll, I'll mention the other one as my last one and it's hey bartender joe boo needs a refill yeah that, that's that definitely my number one as well because yeah. again we do that all the time around always whenever, quote that especially because we got a swimming pool so whenever someone gets out and uh <laughs> and, and he's get, taking drink orders of course you know, someone's like, yo, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. And you hold up your empty whatever, and someone comes out with your drink. <laughs> and then someone uh, throws up a baseball bat, comes flying yeah. through the air and hits them or something. Right? Yeah, so. exactly. All right, I got a few more. Uh, again, I just sort of list them as went. Yep. So when, uh, again, the very first game, when the guy hits the home run and the, the fans, too high, too yep. high, they're arguing about it, and the guy goes, who gives a shit? It's gone. <laughs> just yep. the way he delivers that. Loved it. Then, uh, sorry, do you have any more on your list? No, no, that, those are all okay. mine. Okay. And she goes, uh, when uh, uh, Tom Berenger's in the library with Renee Riso, well, she bet me 50 bucks she had a better body than you, and I had to defend your honor. Oh, what about your horse bullshit? I have a much better body than she does. And then he, everyone looks, and he's like, she's right. <laughs> just, just the delivery there. And then uh, when they're giving Vaughn the glasses for the first time, and there's the exchange Love there it. where he's like, yeah. they look nice. I had a pair just like him. Well, after the game, I'm going to pick out a pair that's more like me. Oh, they look good. Besides, seeing's the most important thing. I don't think it's that important. And then when they leave, he's just like, (laughs) (laughs) "Yeah, so good, so good." Uh Okay, Uh so those are all some of the quotes that we love. But let's get into the movie a little bit too. I just want to mention when the movie started out, that opening theme song, "Roll On, Big River." Was that a real song? Was it made for the movie? I don't know if it was made for the movie. It is the perfect setting. For the movie, I don't know why it just works so much. Like it's an odd pick to open the movie with, but it just works so well. So I should point out that this movie was shot in Milwaukee, actually, instead of Cleveland. 
they 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 just they couldn't shoot it in Cleveland. There was there was there was you know conflicts there, and they couldn't have written the script to be about the Brewers because back in '89. The Brewers were actually pretty good. Remember, they had Paul Molitor and Robin Yount and B.J. Suroff and Rob Deere, one of my favorites. Chris Bossio. I mean, that guy threw a no-hitter. Yeah, so it had to be about the Cleveland Indians. But because the Indians, they hadn't finished closer than like 11 games in like 100 years. So, And they still sucked in 89. Well, and wasn't there that joke at the beginning where they're like, it's diehard night. If you were alive the last time they yeah. won a pennant, you get in for free. <laughs> and and like Cleveland was just known for being bad. Now, I mean, the Orioles and Tigers were pretty bad back then too, but the Indians were just like, they were just a bad ball team. Everybody knew it. They just were. And remember, keep in mind, this is before they had, you know, Kenny Lofton and Carlos Baerga and Jim Tobey and Albert Bell in the early 90s, right? So they, they, this was a bad, bad ball club. But um, Chris, I don't know who any of those people are. I'm a oh, movie guy, not a sports guy. I'm a big baseball fan, especially back no then. No kidding. Yeah. But anyway, so I want to mention, when we did Moneyball on our last show, we talked about whether that movie was realistic in regards to the baseball side of things. And I just sure. want to touch base briefly before we dive into more of the movie um, with Major League. Because yeah. I think one of the reasons that this movie's been so popular with a lot of people is just how realistic the baseball side of things is so so what do you what did you think i know you're not a big baseball fan but did anything strike you as you know being realistic in the, in the movie yay or nay well i think yes I, I mean for me it's more the did anything stand out as being completely unbelievable and that to me because i don't know what it is whether it's real or whether it's fiction as long as it feels believable to me i'm gonna i'm gonna roll with it i'm gonna enjoy it and i think uh that's part of what makes it a success for me as a fan is none of it really just seems so uh, so unbelievable so you know out of left field no pun intended that i i was completely removed from the from the story i think the only thing that i i kind of thought a couple of times through is when the guys are all there in spring training they were all like in bunks like you'd be in summer camp and i'm like I don't know if that's how you would do it today or even if that's how they would have done it in the late 80s. But I mean, it works for the story. But the fact I like that it um, it shows like the camaraderie between and, and the conflict between the players, the, the the rookies and the and the experienced players and and this coming together of different people from different cultures simply because, you know, they're there to do a job. And I think you probably see that more and more in professional sports where. You know, you want the team to win. And if this means you bring a guy in who's defected from a foreign country because of religious persecution, we don't care about any of that. If you can hit the ball, we want you on our team. And I, I think the movie sort of does a good job that it's this, it's like the Island of Misfit Toys, right? Similar to what they talked about in Moneyball, where they were more concerned about the, the hidden value in the stats. This one's a little more on the nose of Charlie Sheen's the pitcher with the crazy arm. Okay, we want him. We don't care that he's been in prison. And Serrano's from this faraway place. Well, we don't care about that. He can hit. He can hit good. Uh, you know, Berenger has this this previous career as a as a catcher, and he's a good uh, off the field leader. We want like you know it. It all just seemed to come together for me. I thought it it felt very realistic. And even if it's not, I didn't really care about that. Well, and, I, I and, find it entertaining. And they put the actors through a baseball boot camp before they started shooting. Um, Dennis Haysbert, uh, he's the one that played Serrano, obviously. I love him. He's so good. Oh, he was so good. He, he appeared in the last season of Lucifer. If anyone's looking for what's he doing now, he's plays God. He's well, he, great. he does those commercials for the, the insurance, Allstate or something like that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he actually took the ball out of the yard 
when for that all doesn't of this, surprise me at all. all of his on-screen home runs, he actually hit out of the park. And Charlie Sheen was good enough when he was younger to actually possibly go pro. Like mm-hmm. he could throw 80 miles per hour when he was a teenager. Obviously, he decided to follow in his father's footsteps and go with acting, you know. But uh, you know, he, maybe he would have been a good athlete with all that like tiger blood. And winning, remember all that crap yeah. from his crazy interview? But well, and I, I had read somewhere. I, I don't know. Again, you can't always believe what you read online. But I had heard that when he was cast in this movie, he actually started taking steroids so that he could actually throw the ball back to his like college level. And he was he was on record pitching like in the mid to low eighties miles per hour in the movie. Not that they needed him to. I mean, the movie can make you look good, right. but apparently he just wanted to demonstrate his his ability so whether or not he did it who knows given his lifestyle and what we know about him now that doesn't surprise me if that's true so being a massive baseball fan that i am i was able to pick out a couple little nitpicky things Mm -hmm. um overall i thought it was very realistic but um, a couple things so so one is jake taylor that's um behringer's character behringer's character yeah hitting second there is no way that he would ever be hitting second like your second hitter in the lineup needs to be able to, you know, get the runner over without grounding into double plays, you know, a good contact guy, you know, good at bunting, and you got to have some speed to get up the line quick and stuff. I mean, uh, I mean well, they, they had Jake Taylor bunt, you know, in the final game, but, you know, after he was calling his shot and stuff, but he would never be a number two hitter, like not even on a crappy team like this. So that, that kind of stood out. And then at one point I thought it was weird because Harris is pitching into the ninth. Yeah, I thought that too. There's no way an old guy that has to put Vagisil in snot <laughs> yeah. on the ball yeah. would ever be pitching a complete game. Not in even what back is, in 89. In what is effectively, uh, like it's not a playoff game, but it is a playoff. It, so it's like, and if it's that important, you're not letting that guy pitch night innings. I don't care. Yeah. You're going to pull him and you're going to, especially if you've got Ricky Vaughn who can throw 100 miles an hour. You're not put, bringing him in for one batter. No, exactly. This is an 1889 where everybody throws yeah. a complete game. Like in by by 1989, like they, they had pitch counts and specialty relievers and closers. And like, yeah, I agree. And the last thing was when Serrano hits the home run and he runs around the bases holding on to his bat. So uh, now I I've read that that is technically not against the rules it's as not. long there, as he's not no, using the bat to like hit people. Yeah, there's no explicit rule in baseball that says you can't do it. But the thing is, baseball is chock full of unwritten rules and yeah. anything that even has a whiff of showing up your opponents would result in guys getting thrown at and bench clearing brawls, especially against a team like the Yankees. So yeah. I understand why they put it in the movie for dramatic effect. Um, yep. And Serrano is all about his bats, right? But that ain't happening in a real game. But uh, but other than that, like those are just minor pet peeves, really. But I thought I thought the movie looked great and felt real uh, in yep. regard to baseball. Um, another thing that stood I, out sorry, to me, Chris, when I was yep. watching it, it almost what it reminded me of was um, COVID protocols and social distancing at the beginning when the when the stadium is so empty. Um, not that I watch a lot of baseball, but sometimes when I'm working out, there's nothing else on TV and they, they rerun baseball games in the afternoon or they play live baseball games in the afternoon. And so it's like, I'll throw on a baseball game. And so I watched a few this, this summer under the COVID protocols where the, the there's nobody in the stands. And I was, so when I was watching major league, I'm at a, we're at a point in our lives where it's like the movie was made in 89 and this is supposed to be funny that the stadium's empty. And my mind immediately went to. Hey, that reminds me of COVID protocols. So it's funny how things change over time. Yeah. Well, one thing that stood out. So I like how they show that the working class people 
in the city are all rooting for the team. Because mm-hmm. you realize just how important a major league team is to a city, especially somewhere like Cleveland. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like in New York or Boston or Los Angeles where there's this expectation that the team is just going to compete, you know, year in and year out. I just, I like the way that they, they all root for it. But the thing I want to talk about is, you know, like a lot of these old Gen X classics that we, we review here, one of the things that makes this movie really click is the cast. I feel oh, this sure. movie is cast perfectly. So, Charlie Sheen. I think he's just basically reprising his tough guy role from Ferris Bueller's Day Off in this yep. movie. But he is absolutely perfect as Ricky Vaughn. Maybe the most iconic role of his career, you could say, outside of maybe Platoon, right? Definitely his top three, for sure. God, I mean, good. he was in Wall Street, so, yeah. you know, there's he's, he's got a few decent roles under his belt. But yeah, this definitely is, I would argue, his top, th- top five for sure. Top three, probably. And you mentioned Tom Berenger already as kind of the sort of that grizzled veteran you know, yeah. with the bad knees. And the thing is, the way he's so perfect is he's also, he's just, just handsome enough to be believable as the guy that used to be really popular with the ladies. You remember when he mentions yeah. it to Rene Russo in the quote that you mentioned? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so I thought he was really, really well cast in this. And maybe the, I wouldn't say the best, they're, so they're all so good, but Bob Euchre. Just, oh yeah, he is Harry he added Doyle. So much, yeah. If, so I can't imagine good. anyone else. No, you know, I, I think I I feel and I uh, that the way he delivered his lines, if you had had another actor doing that, it wouldn't have had the same level of humor. Especially some of the most memorable and quotable lines that we even just talked about are ones that he delivers. Oh, and yeah. I just think that if it wasn't him, if it was someone else, it, it may not have worked. So well, and the thing is too, like, like he he brings something to the role because he was a major league catcher back in the '60s. He mm-hmm. played with Milwaukee and the Cardinals and the Phillies and the Braves, and his his career batting average was exactly 200, <laughs> and twice he hit 150 or less in a season. So, it, and it's not just that he was bad, and he was, but he became famous for acknowledging just how bad he was. Mm. So he used to go on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and joke about how bad of a baseball player he was. And the thing is, people loved him for it. You know, like Johnny Carson used to jokingly call him Mr. Baseball. You know, oh, <laughs> but it's just a big joke, right? And, but he had such a great voice and he just had so much charisma. I mean, he even got an acting gig on the, the TV show, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, I loved that show when I was little. Now, I would say you could argue that his acting was only marginally better than his than his, his hitting, but um, I think he was always at his best when he was just playing himself, and that's what he's doing with Harry Doyle. So I don't know. Yeah. I want yeah. to mention, one time when I used to travel for business, I was on a business trip in Wisconsin, and my outside sales rep knew I was a big baseball fan, so he got his tickets for the Brewers, and we were in the second deck right behind home plate, and we were right in front of the press box where Bob Euchre was sitting. He was about nice. 20 feet away from me. I didn't get a chance to go over and meet him or anything, but he did smile and wave at me. So I, I had nice. that going for me. Nice. There um, you go. James Gammon, Lou Brown. <laughs> My God. He was absolutely perfectly cast. Like, I couldn't imagine anyone else playing the manager other than him. And he was a working actor for years. I was going to say, I don't remember seeing him in anything else. Was this like one of his later movies? I or? think it, it was. It was. But he was he 
he never qualified as one of those what do you call him when they call him like, oh that oh, guy that guy yeah. yeah he never qualified as that because he was mainly a character actor on tv like he did series and tv movies the only really recurring part he ever had was on the waltons i think for like eight episodes but Jeez. he was just perfectly cast as Lou brown and renee russo we've mentioned her before on the podcast i like her a lot this was really her first real significant movie role. And then the thing is, she only did a few other movies after that. Like she was in Lethal Weapon 3 and 4. She was in Get Shorty with Travolta. Um, Tin Cup t- yeah. with uh, Kevin Costner. And then it was Thor, right, that we did? Well, she also did the Thomas Crown Affair remake with Pierce right, Brosnan. She is excellent Brosnan. in that. Yes. I, I'm not really sure why she never did more movies. Maybe think, she just again, didn't get the offers. I don't know. Well, I think when we did Thor, I think we had mentioned this. I looked her up and she opted to um, uh, start a family. Well, I mean, we think it's opted. It might have been, like you said, women of a certain age are often overlooked for roles or not given the roles that uh, that they were given when they were younger. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was part of the, the story behind the story. But, um, you know, I'm glad to see that she is in some stuff again now. Like yeah. she was in a couple of Thor movies and. Um, and the things that she was in, like the, all the ones you just mentioned, she was great in all of those. Well, it's not like a couple of things just come to mind. Like, I think you're right, because I think maybe when she got started acting, she was a little bit older, quote unquote older than what Hollywood is used to, you know? Yeah. And you, you just you can't it's not like she's selective. You know what? You know, some actors and actors, they're really selective about the parts mm-hmm. they take because she was in the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, for Christ's sakes. So. I remember she was in a movie called Buddy about like a woman who has like an exotic zoo or something. I remember there was in the preview it was like her and a giant gorilla or something. And it's it rented really well when I worked at Blockbuster. And we're just like, what the hell is this? Like, who's her agent? Come on, put her in something good. And then she was in like the Thomas Crown Affair the next year. We're like, OK, course correction. Here she goes. Well, uh, yeah, she never had a massive film career, obviously, but she was really good in this. I thought she was great. Um, yeah. but, but hang on, let me ask yeah. you. So, so I, I, you know, I mentioned to my wife that we were going to be reviewing this movie and, and she said like, what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, you know, we usually do a little bit of a deep dive. And she's like, do you talk about like, does the movie hold up and that kind of thing? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. She's like, how do you guys feel about the representation of women in this movie? And I'm like, that's a good talking point because it's a movie about professional sports in the eighties. Mm-hmm. It's a movie about, a, you know, in, in professional sports in North America, it's all about the guys. And this movie is, and the only real women characters are the owner who uh, is the villain and Renee Reese Russo, who's the love interest of the main guy sort of. And, you know, it's, she doesn't really have a lot to work with here. And you gotta sort of think about it. Like from, if you, from her character's point of view, would she really give up the life that she's worked at since breaking up with Tom Berenger before this story began to go back to him now that he's trying to make a comeback in the twilight of his career? Like, obviously, he cheated on her and he didn't treat her right and all the rest of that. And, uh, like, it just, you start to look at it from that perspective and it's like, I don't know if she would have given up the new life she's built for herself with this new guy that she obviously was in love with because she was going to marry him and uh and he's you know got financial security and all the rest of that and it's like and then of course but for purposes of storytelling because tom berenger's the hero of this movie he gets the girl at the end and it's like i don't know i don't think he would i think that they they've the character that renee russo played seemed to be smart enough that i don't think she'd go back to him i think she might you know 
have the little fling that she had in the movie and then be like, okay, that's out of my system. I'm going back to my nice stable life and you can just do whatever you want, baseball guy. So. I, th- I think you're right. I think yeah. you're 100% right. She's too intelligent in this. She's too book smart and just too world smart uh, to do that. Yeah. And the fact is he cheated on her, you know? So, yeah, I mean, yeah maybe she Multiple was in times. love with him. But, you know, and, and, and I think that's why they put that whole scene in with her and her fiance and the, the people like they're all boring and they're, you know, whatever. They're all stuffy. Yeah. And he's a jerk, too. But Tom Berenger cheated on her. You know, and so now all of a sudden, oh, he's got a second shot to play in the major leagues. Oh, well, everything is good. Let's go back to this guy. So, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think you're right. And so and, let me ask you this. Yep. So, uh, again, the movie, the kind of movie they're making is obviously going to be about all about the boys. And but they obviously wanted to have a couple of women roles in here. Uh, not great roles, but they've got them in here. If they were to do a movie like this today, how do you think they could adjust it to be a little more representational? Or do you think that this is just the kind of movie that it's it's just going to be about all, all about the guys? First of like all, the- I hope they don't remake this movie. If they ever remake, sure. if I ever hear they're remaking this movie, I'm going to be pissed. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, how would they change it? I, I, I think the the script the the plot requires Rachel Phelps to be who she is. It just requires her. In fact, they address this back in 88 when they were making the movie and they actually had another part in the script and they actually shot the scenes and everything where they tried to give her more of a redemption arc in her story where it came out later in the movie that she actually, this was all a ruse. She was using this to motivate the team because she wanted them to succeed and be good. And she was doing this on purpose to get the best out of them. And it just didn't work. No, no, I don't, they, I don't, I wouldn't have bought that no, at all. I'm glad no. they didn't use that. And it just didn't, they, they, you need her character there to be what she is to motivate them. You know, um, I actually, another thing I liked too, was what, later in the film when uh, Lou, uh, when, when uh, Lou Brown, the manager needs to motivate the, the troops. So he has the cut cardboard cutout of her. Oh yeah. And from, from her days as a showgirl, as a showgirl. And he's like, every time you win a game, I peel off a section and he like pulls a piece off. And I actually like the fact when it gets down to the very end and he pulls off the last piece, it doesn't show full nudity. She's got like little stars or something on it. I I think I like that. It works better actually for me than, and and, and back in the eighties, like, you know, nudity was all the rage in these movies and they didn't do that. You get to see Corbin Bernstein's butt. Yeah, I guess. If you want some hardcore nudity, Corbin Bernstein's ass is in this movie. The only thing, I guess, the, the only other real uh, female character I can think of was Suzanne Dorn. And she used um, Wild Thing to have a, an affair with mm. to get back at her husband because she saw that her husband was cheating. Yeah. Right? And then that caused that rift between them. But that was necessary as well for the plot because you had to have that kind of yeah. rift between those Additional two players. conflict. Yeah, conflict. just to add a little bit more... Um, oomph to that final scene, right? Yeah, I think, I think, so I've been sort of thinking about this for a little bit. I, I mean, if they were to remake this, I think, much like you said, the owner, having the owner as the, as the, um, as a female, that works. You can't obviously have any of the players as women just because there's no players in Major League Baseball that are women. So that, that sort of limits what your options are. Uh, you could certainly have a couple of the love interests thrown in or girlfriends or whatever, but I, I, I'm almost thinking an interesting twist that the way to introduce more female characters to this would be to have 
uh, some of the players have their agents, like have more of the, the behind the scenes have have their agents involved and you could have some of the agents be women and maybe it's like I'm this guy's wife and his agent and so like you can you can work that into the story behind the scenes in a way that uh, that would make sense but again I think with any sort of sports movie especially if it's a uh, you know a movie about men in sports which most of the professional sports leagues are it, it does limit the the roles that women can have in it and still work but hey there there are ways to uh, you know try and work them in. I think if they tried to remake this movie, one of the things that they would probably screw up is something that was a major part of these Gen X uh, films. And you touched base on it briefly before is like the first half of the movie sets up the characters. And that was one of my favorite parts about all these kind of classic comedies, that first part where it's like setting up all the characters. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Like basically it all takes place in spring training in this movie. Yeah. And it's yeah. so good. Like that whole part is so, and I find that a lot of millennial films and newer films that I watch now, they don't, they don't capture that spirit of, of like really setting up those characters in such a way. Like spring training is so good. Like you get Willie Mays Hayes pulling up in the, the Volkswagen Beetle with the, the Rolls Royce grill on it. And yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I never noticed before, I, I've probably seen this movie 20 times if I've seen it once. But one thing I never noticed, when Willie Mays Hayes tries to steal second base when he's in spring training and he slides yeah. head first and he comes up about a foot short of the bag, remember? Yeah. And the, yep. the second baseman taunts him. He's, yeah, like, he's like, come on, know, come, yeah, on. come on, yeah. come on, come on, come on. Willie Mays Hayes flips him the bird. Yeah, you never noticed that before. <laughs> I don't remember seeing him flip oh. that guy off. Oh, yeah. Maybe because I was just always laughing too much at the scene. I don't know, but I've never noticed Hayes doing that. Well, so. and there's still a little bit of dust up from where he slid. So yeah. I can understand that, like, you might miss it, uh, uh, you know, in the first couple of viewings. But I'm glad you caught it. So I like how you mentioned about the uh, the army barracks, too. That kind of struck me. Too. I was like, is that what spring training is really like? I mean, like, it's not just Rachel Phelps trying to cheap out on the team because that doesn't come up as a tactic. Right. Until right. later. And none of the none of the players seem yeah. outraged by the fact they got to sleep in these little bunks. Like, I'm just thinking it, and maybe this is how it was in the 80s. Maybe this is how it had been for years. But I got to think in today's day and age. If I'm a player and I'm making 10 million and I got to come to spring training and you expect me to share a room with 30 guys and sleep on the top bunk, you you are kidding yourself. Like, I do not believe for a second that that happens, that it happens now. Maybe it happened then. I don't know. But that that is really the only you would ask me before. Do I find it believable? Mm -hmm. That's the only part I kind of found a little unbelievable. That's yeah, that stuck out to me, too. Oh, you know, one quote that didn't make my top 10, but it probably should have. Oh, it's been my, my, my mistake. When Charlie Sheen gets recognized in the bar and the guy asks for his autograph, the guy and the guy's like, you were on Sports Center, You made their hall of shame. And Charlie Sheen turns to Tom Berenger and he's like, I thought you had to do something good to be a celebrity. And Tom Berenger says, not if you do it colorfully. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what a great that's, quote that that's is. That's a good quote. That's a yeah. good, good quote. So nice. scenes in the movie, we talked about quotes. Any scenes that you just love? that just stand out? Oh, I mean, really, they revolve around the, the quotes. Uh, so much of the spring training, there's so many good That's scenes. Why. Yeah. All uh, of spring training, the whole yeah. thing is like the best scenes in the movie, I think. But yeah, no, I, I think I got to go with that. And then, um, I mean, the ending is good. And so let me, I want to talk to you a little bit about the ending. And this is mm -hmm. something that I think we we overlooked when we were doing Moneyball a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, is at the end of this movie, all they win 
they win. Uh, uh, they're not. They don't win a championship. They win the title, the first place regular season first place. That's what they win. They would then still have to go on yeah. to do multiple rounds of playoffs, winning all of those before winning potentially winning a pennant. Now I haven't seen part two, major league part two, but I've heard that it takes place like the next year. And in, in the very beginning they go, Oh yeah, they went on to win it. And that's great for the sequel. If the sequel is worth watching and I've heard it's not. Um, but at the end of this, yeah, there's this triumphant win. They've come from behind. They were in last place to first place. And so, you know, from that point of view, great. You feel good. Everybody's happy. But at the end of the day, they didn't They didn't win. Like, they won, but they didn't win. You know what I mean? And it's the same with Moneyball. At the end of the thing in Moneyball, they don't win a pennant. Like, they 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 demonstrate that the system has merit and, and that this team can win this number of games despite these obstacles. Um but it's not a movie about winning a championship. It's like people forget like Rocky won. He doesn't win. He just goes the distance. He still loses. Yep. And and that to me is something that I think people overlook or forget about this. You just think, oh, they win at the end. Sure, they do. They don't win a pennant. They win the game. They win first place of the stats, but they don't win a pennant. They don't show them winning a pennant. So that I, I mean, I wouldn't call that a nitpick, or, or but it is something that uh, – that after you've seen it as many times as you and I have seen it, it's it, that was the one little thing that sort of bugged me a little bit is, is with this, it was a great setup, but you know, I, I, I felt it was almost like a, a, for a very small little bit, it sort of was like a hollow victory. It's like, yeah, they won, but they still haven't won one. That's what makes the movie so realistic yeah. right there is because yeah. a typical Hollywood movie, they'd be going to the world series and they would win the world series. It's not going to happen. That's what, no. it's not with these guys. That's what made it more realistic. They just won the AL pennant. Yeah. It was they just, their it just about, yeah, they exactly. beat the Yankees. I mean, yeah, yeah. they got to go on and beat the West, you know, Coast team. And then they've got to go to the World Series against the National League. But that's what made it so realistic. And you're right. Moneyball, same thing. You know, Rocky, good, another good example. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's not always about winning everything. It's just about having small victories along the way. That's what makes it so, you know important to me well, yeah and and going the whole idea of of these misfits going from last to first because they learn to work together they learn they get motivated so i mean there's a lot to like about this movie um and and like so many of the 80s movies and even some of the 70 movies we watch you're like you look at it through today's lens and there's problems and with this one there were not nearly as many nope. problems um and even with the humor I, I found there was very 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 few jokes that were off color by today's standard. There's a couple where the guys sort of refer to the other guys, uh, you know, as women, or like he talks about them when he's making fun of his earring. He goes, do you have the matching bracelet? Like implying, oh, you're girly, you're sissy. Again, it's, it's, it's not. There was no as, racism or misogyny yeah, or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was like some of the jokes were like, mm, they're sort of by today's standard might tread the line a little bit or seem a little juvenile. But yeah, yeah I mean, it was more just, uh, it was more just like the guys having good fun. And um, it, so this one holds up. Like, I feel this one. I feel it does. A I lot better up. than yeah. I think it holds up well. And it holds up way better than a lot of the other stuff we reviewed from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's endured. And I think that's why it's on TV a lot. And because, you know, it's baseball and everyone loves baseball. So it's on TV. It's about the, you know, the try your best and come together. And even misfits can can overcome adversity and win. So, I mean, it's got a positive message to it. And the thing was. When this came out, like a lot of these people were at the start of their career. And so they could probably make the movie for a very reasonable budget. But you got to think like 
five years after this, a lot of these actors started becoming bigger actors, bigger names, doing bigger projects, getting more famous, getting, uh, you know, they, so I think that's part of the reason that some of these guys then weren't appearing in the various sequels, either because they, they had scheduling conflicts because they were busy doing other things or they would have just demanded too much money. And I remember that was something I, I, I can remember talking about in the nineties when I was at school, you're like, Hey, do you, you know, do you think they could remake, uh, they could do a sequel to major league with the original cast? And it was always like, nah, I think too many of them got too, too big, too famous, too expensive. But no, anyway. no, I agree. Another reason why I think it's endured and why it holds up is there were no real comedies about baseball before this or after this, really, for that matter. I mean, The Sandlot is more of a kid's movie. Yeah. And I always thought that The Bad News Bears was more of a like a comedy drama than a mm-hmm. true comedy movie. And I'm talking about the original with Walter, mm-hmm. Math- Walter Matthau, not that stupid remake with Billy Bob Thornton or whatever. Um, oh, that reminds me of something, by the way. I, Yancey was on Twitter the other day, and he was tweeting about how much he was mad that they were remaking one of his childhood favorites. So Yancey has always been a huge fan of Space Jam. Oh, yes. And now I guess they're making a remake of it. They made it. It's coming out like any day now. Yeah. He was all like, hey, man, you can't remake that movie. It's a classic. It's perfect the way it was. And I'm like, now you know how I feel. (laughs) You know, (laughs) millennials will soon start to see their movies get savaged by these terrible remakes. And they'll finally, finally understand what I've been ranting about for the past six years on this podcast. But um, like I was saying, Major League is pretty much the only baseball comedy out there like Brewster's Millions it was good but baseball just has a small part in it it wasn't a really like a true baseball movie but I think if you love baseball and if you love comedies Major League is the only way to go now if they ever decide to remake it you know maybe Yancey will join me in in the revolt but uh, until then I think Major League is is the best baseball comedy ever made but you mentioned the sequels have you ever seen them no no I haven't me neither um, I, and honestly, I never really once I knew that they had recast some of the roles and that some of the people from the other movies weren't coming back. I thought, well, then why bother? Because to me, it was a, a movie that had a great cast. Well, if you can't bring back the cast, I'm not coming for the baseball. I'm coming for the cast. Mm-hmm. And I heard they did introduce some new characters, which, you, of course, you have to if you can't bring your full cast back. But no, I'm uh, I, I never really had any desire to see the sequels. And uh, I don't feel like I've missed out. And I think. You were saying this was your favorite um, baseball comedy. It's like, I think this is, uh, uh, it's either this or Moneyball. Those are definitely my one, two favorite baseball movies. There's no question. It's, and depending on the day of the week, those probably flip flop. Um, As much, as much as I love this movie, like I say, I've never seen any of the sequels, nor do I have any desire to see them. The thing is, this movie has a beginning, a middle and an end. And it was perfect the way it was. There's no need for a sequel. Let alone, what they make, like two or three of them? No, thanks, uh, Three for sure, because no I remember uh, I remember Scott Bakula was the coach in the third one, and I was uh, like, oh, well, maybe I'll watch this. And I was like... if if I'll tell you what, if I ever have the desire to watch a baseball comedy, I'll go back and watch this one again. Yeah, It's, it's sure. totally rewatchable after all these years. It's still a lot of fun to watch. What do you rate out of 10? Hmm. Probably uh, eight. I'd probably give it an eight, maybe an eight and a half. I'm probably an eight. Let's say eight. I will give it an eight out of 10 as well. 
Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. And now, Chris, uh, how many times, best guess, or give me a range, how many times have you think you've seen this movie? You know, you've asked me that kind of question before, and I got to say, it is really hard for me to answer that kind of question. I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, if... I don't know. I don't know how many times I've seen movies. Like more than 10? Oh, yeah. More than Oh, yeah. I would say probably 20 to 25 times, maybe. It would be interesting if there was somehow some magical way that over the years somebody actually recorded how many times I saw certain movies. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. I'd be shocked if I got those numbers. Yeah. No, I think I'm probably close. I'm probably between 15 and 20. Um it's actually it's probably closer to 2025 we're probably in about that same and again just given the age of the movie and the fact that it's on tv over and over again um now how many did you see this in the theater i'm sure you did and if you did how many did you see it more than once do you remember i did not see this movie in the theater believe it or not i don't remember the reason why i didn't go something whatever but i didn't see it in the theater heard all about it and then i recorded it on vhs off of the movie channel and just watched it over and over and over again Nice. So. No, I definitely remember seeing this in the theater more than once. I, honestly, I don't remember how many times, two or three times for sure, but definitely more than once I can remember seeing in the theater. All right. Well, anyway, um, what do you say we now have some? Fun with Caveman. All right, my man. Uh, it was my movie, so it's over to you. So uh, what do you want to do for some trivia? All right. So we're going to be a little more free flow, free form with the, with the trivia tonight. Sure. Uh, instead of just sort of question, answer, question, answer, question, answer kind of thing, um, I, I, I've decided I wanted to do a little brotherly love. So Charlie Sheen is one of the main stars of this movie. And as I'm sure you're aware, his brother Emilio Estevez is also an actor. And the two of them have even appeared in some movies. And they've basically been working for about the same number of years. And they've had, you know, mixed success along the way. But I managed to find a website where I was uh, able to get a list of all the movies that each of them has been in and how much money those movies have made domestically and internationally over the years. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about the brothers. It's this, okay. uh, you know, about the movies they're in and then, then which one did better and that kind of stuff. But I'm going to sort of just hit you up with some other general questions along the way. So my first question is, and, and these are all related to Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Which of the two brothers do you think appeared? Uh, so I've got their list of movies ranked from the most money down, down the way. Which brother's number one movie which is, is made more money? Do you think Charlie Sheen's number one movie made more money domestically than Emilio Estevez's number one movie or the other way around? I will say Charlie Sheen. And what do you think that his number one movie is? Uh, I'll go with Wall Street. So you're unfortunately wrong on both accounts. Oh, jeez. Um, and again, some of these are a little bit of a cheat where the one one of them may only be in it a little bit. So like you already mentioned Charlie Sheen and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So that's on his list. Now, that's not really a Charlie Sheen movie, but he does appear in the movie and has at least a scene or two. So Emilio Estevez, and again, there's a bit of a cheat, is in the first Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise for about 20 minutes. 15, I, w- 20 I wouldn't minutes. have known that. Yeah. So... That one in, in the U.S. grossed $180 million. Ta- uh, Charlie Sheen's number one movie was Platoon, and it was 138 So, again, both very, very respectable number ones. Um, the um, If we were to look at the uh, top five movies for Emilio Estevez and the top five movies for Charlie Sheen and added the money together, 
who do you think's got a better total based on their individual top fives? I would go uh, with Charlie Sheen. And you would be right. So Charlie Sheen's top five movies uh, are Platoon, Scary Movie 3, Scary Movie 4, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which we've already established is a little bit of a cheat, and Hot Shots, the first one. And they totaled up 477 million in the U.S. I didn't even know he was in those scary movies. Who knew? Yeah, apparently he was in three of them. Uh, for Emilio Estevez, his top five are Mission Impossible, Stakeout. We may have to revisit that one. I seem to have some fond memories of that one. That's the, the one Viking. with um, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was Mission Impossible, Stakeout, The Mighty Ducks, the first one, The Breakfast Club, and then The Mighty Ducks 2, D2, The Mighty Ducks 2. Those five together are, are Emilio Estevez's top five. They were 388 um, million. So it's 388 to 477. So uh, Charlie's almost uh, a million, 100 million ahead in that regard. Um, now, Emilio Estevez has a franchise with the Mighty Ducks. He appeared in Mighty Ducks 1, 2, and 3, although he doesn't really appear in Part 3 that much. Charlie Sheen apparently jumped into the Scary Movie franchise, appearing in Scary Movies 3, 4, and 5. Whose franchise with those top threes do you think made more money? Mm. Think Emilio Estevez with the Mighty Ducks, 1, 2, 3, or Charlie Sheen, Scary Movie 3, 4, 5? I'm going to go with Scary Movie. Uh, yes. Almost double. Yeah. Uh, scary movies. Crappy. Well, they were both yeah. kind of crappy. Well, but uh, and made lots favorites. of money, I bet. Yeah. So, scary movies three, four, five um, ended up getting two hundred thirty-two million, and uh, Mighty Ducks comes in at one nineteen. So, yeah, wow. scary movies a hundred hundred million more. Jeez. Yeah. No, these guys are, uh, are 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 doing pretty pretty good. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. uh, not really a right and wrong kind of answer. If you had to pick, what's your favorite Charlie Sheen movie? Um, I would say this this one was good, but Platoon is so good. It's Platoon. Really? Yeah. Okay. Platoon, okay. Do you have Pl- a... Platoon Sorry, to me ahead. is just this great morality tale. So, mm-hmm. Oh, it's so well done. Do you have a Charlie good. Sheen guilty pleasure movie where you're like, ah, I kind of have a fondness for this movie that he's in? Uh, I don't think you can, qu- you can count uh, this or Ferris Bueller as a guilty pleasure because they're both just so good yeah you know so i don't know if i have a guilty pleasure one do you have one yeah he was in a he was in a movie in the mid 80s called no man's land where it was uh he he stole porsches he was a car thief and um it was uh i don't know why it was just one of these ones that was on cable over and over and over again so my cousins and i used to watch it all the time and I'm not really a, a car enthusiast by any stretch of the imagination, but I think because of that movie, a Porsche is like, to me, that Porsche 911 is like the best looking car that's ever been made. And I think it's probably because I've watched that movie so much when I was younger. Uh, so that's sort of my Charlie Sheen guilty guilty pleasure movie. But one, this one, one that comes to mind is Red Dawn. Maybe I've Red never Dawn. Seen it. It's, never it's seen like it. the, the Russians are coming back in the mm-hmm. 80s. And then the teenagers were going to save us, you know, kind of thing. So it was kind of nice. It was dumb. Yeah. Nice. Funny that neither of us picked Wall Street, which was, again, one of his better performances. Um, yeah. And of course, Major League, I think, is probably my favorite Charlie Sheen movie. Mm-hmm. Just straight up favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez starred in three movies together. Uh, can you name them? Were they in? Did they do Young Guns together? Yep, they were both in the first Young Guns. Um, 
They weren't in Repo Man together, were they? Nope. No. Um, oh, did they do Men at Work? Yes. And oh, what the hell else would they have done together? It's a comedy. Uh, it's a spoof comedy. Loaded Weapon One. Yep, that's it. Loaded oh my Weapon God. One. Yep. Oh, wow. I don't, okay. Go figure. Yep. And uh, of those three, uh, uh, Young Guns was by far the best of. Oh yeah. From a yeah Young Guns was pretty good. It was pretty yeah, good. That Young Guns was uh, Emilio Estevez's sixth highest grossing, and yeah. uh, for Charlie, it was his eighth highest grossing. So. You know, Young Guns doing well. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty much it. I didn't have a lot with uh, with the trivia this week. I just wanted to throw that's a okay. few of the, the brother to brother head to head at you. Uh, for some reason, I think we had done some of this Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen trivia maybe back when we did uh, uh, the Mighty Ducks. Maybe oh, with maybe. Estevez. Oh, so, we might have. Yeah, because I, I started doing some one. of that, yeah. and I was like, mm, I think we've done these questions yeah. before. So I thought we'll so do something funny this time around. So. Yeah, just a little bit, uh, a little bit of trivia, a little bit less this week than most weeks. We'll get you on the next time through. You but, mentioned uh, Charlie Sheen, um, uh, guilty pleasure, but I don't think you mentioned Emilio Estevez, guilty pleasure. Oh, I think yeah. my guilty pleasure for Emilio Estevez would be Maximum Overdrive. Nice. Remember that? Nice. The yes. Stephen King one, like, oh, that, yep. that was. Oh, I don't know. There was, it was kind of dumb, but I, I always kind of liked it. I don't know why. So that'd be mine for him. Nice. So. I think for uh, for me for mm-hmm. um, for Emilio Estevez, I mean, I like Stakeout, but he was clearly the star of that, so that's mm-hmm. not really a guilty pleasure. Uh, he was well, in it a, can be uh, if it's a dumb movie. I mean, so he was in a movie called Free Jack with Rene Russo, uh, and it was sort of this sci-fi time travel thing. And I want to say Mick Jagger and that Anthony was Mick Hopkins Jagger. were both in yeah. it. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I remember seeing it in the theater. It was back in like, the uh, early nineties. Yeah, ninety two, and. Um, yeah, so that's probably my my guilty play, and I haven't seen it in forever. But for some reason, I have a very clear memory of it, and I think the Scorpions did the soundtrack, so I remember some of the songs. And it's just like, yeah, that nice. one always stuck with me. So that's sort of my my guilty pleasure for Emilio Estevez. Though. Nice, nice. Okay, well, so uh, we'll wrap things up. I guess next week we'll come back with a topic, and uh, we'll figure what that will be between me and you before we come back. But uh, i tell you what, until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying, thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. We'll be right back.